So as we think about this theme of togetherness and how Paul references that theme in these words from Ephesians 2, um, let me begin with an illustration, a word picture. Uh, As I think about this theme and what it means for us as followers of Jesus, um, there's one, uh, one thing that comes quickly to mind, and it might surprise you. It's Legos. Legos. How many parents have grown up with a box of Legos in the basement? Uh, Maybe multiple boxes, maybe a whole room full of Legos in some cases. That's right, you know it's everyone's favorite childhood toy. Those small plastic bricks with little raised circles. And who can imagine, right, that these pieces of plastic, these crazy little pieces of plastic are worth billions of dollars. Did you know that? Did you know that the Lego company, seven years ago in 2012, had a net worth of $36 billion? The Lego company. That's crazy. It's amazing. Now, individually, of course, Legos are just cheap little pieces of plastic, right? Here's an example, the classic red brick. Just a simple little piece of plastic. And, of course, they can also be uh, just these, you know, single little pieces like this can be a cause of great distress to parents who, in the darkness of night, step on that lone Lego that was not put away properly. Anybody, anybody relate? Yeah. What I want you to think about, though, with, with regard to Legos, is that Legos are designed for one purpose. Do you know what it is? It's to be connected with other Legos. Connected, right? So a Lego like this, the classic little red brick, you'll know, has some holes on the bottom and some bumps on the top, which give it a unique ability, a unique capacity to be meaningfully connected with other Legos. And so any one Lego by itself is pointless, worthless. But when you bring them all together, you can make beautiful things. So I, I want to you know, give you a, a, really three visions of life to think about this morning, or three visions, better, better said, of church life, okay? Here's vision number one, a single Lego, detached and disconnected from the rest, without meaning, without significance still holds perhaps some value as an individual Lego piece, but it's not fulfilling what it was designed to fulfill if it remains alone. Now, here's the second vision. It's a box of Lego pieces, parts and pieces. You might say that these Legos are together, but they're not, for the most part, meaningfully connected. They just happen to be in the same box. So they're together, but they're not meaningfully connected. That's vision number two. You can be bumping into people, rubbing shoulders with people. You can have lots of acquaintances, even some friends. But if you're not truly connected with other people, this is what life is like. Now, here's vision number three, and I want to thank um, the Alvaro family for offering this prop this morning. Some of you may know that they have quite a tradition of uh, Lego artistry in the the Alvaro family, and Jonathan, uh, who's now in college or grad school, has been known to build some incredible pieces of uh, Lego art, and uh, um, they brought in for me this morning a castle, just um, a collection of who knows how many, maybe a hundred pieces of Lego blocks that are assembled together to make something cool, something beautiful, something purposeful, something meaningful. But the meaning and the purpose and the beauty of this castle is only accomplished when each individual Lego is connected to the rest according to a perfect design. Some of you will remember Way back when uh, Forrest Gump famously claimed that life is like a box of chocolates because you never know what you're going to get. 
Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to trump Forrest. I'm going to say that I believe life is actually like a box of Legos, not a box of chocolate. I mean, I get the point, right? And I'm not disagreeing with him entirely. But I think when it comes to relationships with other people and the meaning of our connectedness in relationship to other people, life is like a box of Legos. Which one is it for you? Is it this one? Is it this one? Or is it this one? What is your life like? How meaningfully connected are you to other people? And what I want to suggest to you this morning from these words in Ephesians 2 is that our connectedness to others happens best by God's design in Christ, in Christ, in the life of a local church like this. Legos make for a fun example, but my real excitement, my real passion for the concept of togetherness or meaningful connectedness has to do with the life and purpose of the local church. That's what I want to speak to you about this morning. In real life, this concept is powerful and life-changing. Jesus invites us to live life together with him and together with one another in this community of faith called the church. So together, we are on a journey of transformation toward becoming the kind of community of faith that God envisions. Think of him as the artist, the Lego artist in this case. He's the one that's connecting us meaningfully to one another for his purposes according to his design. So as we celebrate the theme of back to church this month, I hope and pray that what we'll experience today is just the beginning of what we're going to press into over the next three weeks or four weeks, a taste of the belonging that we experience here and an invitation to come back for more and to draw others in as well. So whether you're a regular member of CCV or a first-time visitor, or if you're on the fence about church, maybe you're wondering, maybe you're exploring, maybe you're visiting here this morning, I want to invite you uh, over the coming month to to join us for a a month-long journey into the theme of togetherness. Why is it so valuable and powerful? How has God designed us to be connected with one another? And I want to start this journey with a little bit of a roadmap for you because we're going to use as a guide for our journey um, in in rough form Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. So uh, the guide for our journey together then into this theme of togetherness comes from the letter of Ephesians. And I want you to just remember as we begin that the letter was written while Paul was in prison in Rome And he was writing it to a group of believers that were uh, part of a congregation or local church in the city of Ephesus. And he was writing it, oh, about 30 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, this letter that he wrote to this group of believers who were meeting together and had formed a community of faith in Ephesus is now what we refer to as the New Testament book of Ephesians. It's a short book just a few, you know, five chapters or so, six chapters, but, but it's a beautiful and powerful book, and togetherness is one of the key themes that Paul touches on, among others, uh, throughout this letter. So it's fitting that we would study some of it together, uh, because that's exactly what the original group uh, of believers in Ephesus did, right? When they would receive a letter like this, they would read it out loud together and discuss it and learn from it uh, in their their gatherings. Whenever their congregation would come together, this was a key part of what they would do. And so you can almost imagine this letter being read uh, as the church in Ephesus gathered together because they didn't have, you know, the other forms of communication that we now make use of. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. You know, there was no texting. uh, There was no... Um, you know, Instagram or Marco Polo or any of all these cool things that we get to do to communicate with one another. So they had to write letters. Imagine 
How archaic, right? They had to write letters and read them together. So we read from a portion of a letter like this, and then we talk about what it means for us. And here, you know, here we are 2,000 years later, still learning and still being changed, still being inspired by a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. That's remarkable. Now, in the ancient world, I want you to remember that Ephesus was a big, bustling port city, a really important place in the ancient world. It's now uh, located in what's present day, the, uh, the nation of Turkey, and um, it's, it's no longer there. Like, it's, you know, it's become ruins uh, now. In fact, Elliot, my son, got to go there uh, a few years back, but... Um, at the time when Paul wrote this letter, it was a big bustling port city with lots of people coming and going, um, not just to worship either God or perhaps Artemis, the goddess uh, of the temple who, uh, you know, whose uh, center was, was there in Ephesus, uh, but people were coming to do business, people were coming in and out of the port, people were traveling from one region of the Roman Empire to another. This city was really significant because it was a, an ancient crossroads in the culture of uh, the Roman Empire. And Paul, um, of course, had spent significant time there, a couple of years as a missionary and a church planter, so he knew the culture well. He knew the culture of the city. He knew the different people groups and the unique challenges that they were struggling with. He knew that this was a multi-ethnic city, a multi-ethnic church, surrounded and challenged by other ideas, other beliefs, and practices. And so not unlike our own church today in this day and age, the church at Ephesus needed the strength of togetherness or unity. Unit, think of unity as a synonym for togetherness. It's a word that Paul repeats again and again throughout this letter. Very important. So Paul wrote this letter to encourage and instruct the young church, and he structured the letter in a way that's pretty easy to follow. Really two main parts. The first half of Ephesians basically looks at the gospel story, who Jesus was, what he came to do, how he's changed our lives, how his life, death, and resurrection has changed the world and impacted us in particular, uh, each one who identifies as a follower of Christ. And then part two gets very practical. It has to do with, or it speaks to, how we should live in response to our experience of God's grace. So part one is about receiving God's grace and the impact that it makes to change our lives. Part two is about how we live in response to that reality. What do we do with it? How does it change the way that we think and act? So the second half of the letter focuses in on how the gospel story changes our lives and how we're called to live it out together, together. Now, in following the lead of Ephesians, over these next four weeks. We're going to uh, spend some time today and next Sunday looking at the sense of belonging and love that we are given through our life in Christ, through our experience of His grace and peace. And then for the next two weeks after that, we'll look at how in the light of the gospel and the way that it touches and changes our lives, we can grow stronger together and we can actually impact the world around us as we live this out so four themes then that we're going to cover over the next month, just to give you a little sneak preview. Today, together we find belonging. Next Sunday, together we experience love. The Sunday after that, together we grow stronger. And finally, at the end of the month, together we change the world. Together. Now, uh, let me take you then back to our text for this morning, and particularly the first two verses Really, the first verse, verse 19, is the key that I want to drill in on here. Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Members of his household. This is what we've become. Paul's talking here about a fundamental shift that has taken place in the lives of those who experience the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so really, if I could uh, sort of highlight for you the, the very essence of what he's saying to us and, and what we can take away from his insights and experience, it would amount to this. Here's takeaway number one. As a consequence 
of receiving God's grace and peace through faith in Jesus, we are connected with a new sense of belonging to all God's people. All God's people. We're connected. That's what Paul's talking about in this verse. We're no longer foreigners. We're no longer strangers. But instead, we have now become citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of God's people, and members of his household. In short, we've, we've been connected, and we've found belonging as a result. Now, I distinctly remember back in college being on a search for, for belonging. Who am I? Who am I going to be? Where do I belong? Who do I belong with? And um, I was a uh, Christian at the time, but um, for whatever reason, insecure enough, I think, that I, I made a rather poor decision my freshman year to join a fraternity of all the crazy things. And um, try not to imagine. Uh, I, had, I had a few um, solid relationships, friendships with some of my fraternity brothers. But in the end, it did not help in my search for belonging because I discovered uh, not long after I joined, that my faith was constantly putting me at odds with most of my, my fraternity brothers because they weren't particularly loyal to the creed that we were supposed to be loyal to, right? You join a fraternity and you pledge your loyalty to the creed of the fraternity. And in this case, the, the, the creed of our fraternity was service, love, and wisdom. Well, all those are beautiful ideals, Right? And if you actually had a group of guys that were committed to those things together, that'd be powerful. That'd be amazing. Service, love, and wisdom. Unfortunately, for all practical purposes, most of the guys in my frat lived by another creed. Self-service, love girls, and bud wiser. Thank you for your support. So where do you find a genuine sense of belonging? Where is it to be found? Would it surprise you to learn that Paul believed and taught that the body of Christ, the church, is meant to be our most significant place of belonging in life? That's what he's talking about. That's what he's driving at. We are rooted together in the grace and peace that comes to us by way of faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you might remember, if you grew up in the Reformed tradition like I did, uh, question and answer number one from the famous Heidelberg Catechism. I remember having to go to catechism classes in my younger years and having this Q&A drilled into me. And so I think at one point I had it memorized, right? What is your only comfort in life and death? You know the answer, Owen? No? That I belong, body and soul, to Christ Jesus, my Lord. I belong to him. That's my only comfort in life and death. And that's a true statement, a life-changing reality when we come to that recognition. But I want you to consider what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 2 because Paul takes it a step further. You see, what Paul's saying is that, yes, we belong to Christ. We belong to God through faith in Christ. We've been made members of his household or his family in the spirit, but we all belong to him together, which means, by the way, that we also belong to one another. We belong to each other by nature of our faith in Christ. So after a short introduction at the beginning of chapter two on the subject of grace and peace, Paul takes us directly to this this central issue of togetherness. And he addresses it right in the heart of Ephesians 2, even in the verses before the ones that we've come to at the end of the chapter. He addresses the subject of unity in the church by way of faith in Christ. And basically what he says is that what's, what's foundational to our unity is our experience of grace and peace. And so these two themes get talked about and described and discussed and explained uh, through the beginning verses of Ephesians chapter 2, grace and peace. 
The point being that our experience and our expression of grace and peace within the body of Christ is what brings us into unity and connects us with others. That's how this is meant to work. So just to to kind of spell that out for you momentarily, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul emphasizes the fact that the very life we've received from God is only because of God's grace, all because of God's grace, not because of our own good works, right? You know the verse, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, perhaps many of you have it committed to memory. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What Paul's explaining here is that grace is the great equalizer in the body of Christ. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that when we recognize that we're saved by grace and grace alone, we are compelled to open our arms and hearts to other people in gratitude, recognizing that they're all saved just the same way we are. We're all even in that, right? No one person is better than any other. No one person's works are able to save them any more than anyone else's. So we've all been there. We've all struggled with sin. We've all experienced the same needs, the same brokenness, the same struggles and issues, and we've all been offered the same gift, the gift of God's grace. And it's transformational. It changes our lives. Grace doesn't allow for exclusion on the basis of any one of us being better than any other, right? Instead, it brings us together in unity. Then Paul goes on to talk about peace in like manner. Verses 14 to 16, he talks about the reality of how peace has been brought where there was previously hostility. And the specific example that he points to, although I think it applies more broadly than this, is the peace between Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul's talking here about the fact that previously God's people, the Jews, had hostility. There was a dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews thought, hey, we're the favored ones of God, and the Gentiles were on the outs, right? Not to be messed with, not to be troubled with. These these people are not worth our time. We don't want to have anything to do with them because they're unclean. That was the mentality of a good religious Jew. By, By providing grace for the Gentiles, God enabled peace between the Jews and Gentiles. He allowed the the broken relationships between these two people groups to be healed, to be overcome so that they could become, in Christ, one new man, one new man. So, in other words, God's grace enables us to experience God's peace in relationship to others where there was previously hostility, right? Right? In short, grace and peace work together to bring us into community, this community called the church, where we belong to God and to one another. That's what Paul's writing about. That's, what, that's the heart of Ephesians 2. Now think about how incredible this reality really is. By coming to save the world, Jesus broke down the dividing walls first between God and man so that we could be reconciled to God, And at the same time, he also broke down the dividing walls between Jew and Gentile or between any other people groups that are at odds with one another. The point is, if you share faith in Christ with another person, that common unity in the faith is greater than whatever might separate you. It's greater than any difference that you might have with another person, whether it's a... a, a, a racial difference or an ethnic difference or a uh, socioeconomic difference or what, like an age difference. It doesn't matter. The point that Paul's explaining here is that our unity in Christ is what brings us together and enables us to be connected and stay connected even when other things might separate us and disconnect us. So Paul's clear here that we find peace in unity, but that doesn't mean uniformity or sameness. This whole chapter is a celebration of the unity that we have despite our differences with other people. It's unity in diversity, not unity apart from diversity. 
So in doing this work, bringing people together in Christ, Jesus effectively established unity as a definitive characteristic of his people. And I'm not sure that we always really value that the way that we're meant to. Honestly. This is huge. In fact, I remember it wasn't too long ago, maybe a year ago or so, we, we spent some considerable time in John chapter 17 talking all about Jesus' prayer for the unity of his church. This is a huge theme in Scripture, and it's of great value to the heart of God that we express and experience unity in the faith. Think of, uh, I think of one particular example that Paul gets to just a little bit later in his letter to the church at Ephesus, right? And it becomes apparent that Paul's writing this letter in part because he's concerned that the, that the church in Ephesus might be pulled apart or splintered because of all the different influences at work and all the different interests or values or whatever, you know, whatever they were grappling with. Paul understood that this was a battle for the heart of the church. The unity of the church was at risk. And so listen to the words he writes in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. Can I just say that again? Think about these words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Wow, that's the heart of God. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the the emphasis in Paul's words on the value of unity from God's perspective? This is all about togetherness and belonging. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's some sage advice that we would do well to follow even here and now, 2,000 years after those words were written. So what I'm saying is that the sense of belonging and genuine connectedness that we're talking about is often underestimated in terms of its value, its power. It holds the power to touch and to change our lives. And and that's not just my own conviction. This is not just my idea. I believe I'm communicating to you not just the heart of God, of course, the heart and the inside of Paul himself, but there are many others who've written about this. In fact, I've got a whole shelf full of books in my library about the power of connectedness or togetherness. One book that comes to mind uh, that's been a reference for me, a, a really great reference over the years, is a book by Dr. Larry Crabb, He wrote um, about 20 years ago a book called Connected, Connected. And here's, here's a quote. He says on page 32, I've come to believe that the root of all of our personal and emotional difficulties is a lack of togetherness, a failure to connect that keeps us from receiving life and prevents the life in us from spilling over onto others. I therefore believe that the surest route to overcoming problems and becoming the people that we were meant to be is reconnecting with God and with our community of faith. So we find belonging in the body of Christ and, it, and its purpose, right, is to, to keep us from being separated and isolated. We find it by leaning in to the grace and peace that Jesus gives us. Let me ask you a question. What what would happen in our lives, in this community of faith, and perhaps even in the greater community of, of Lansing, if the church was seen by more and more people as a place to come together so that we could experience the fullness of grace and peace? and where we could be meaningfully, most meaningfully connected to other people. 
If that vision of the church took root in our society and displaced all the other visions that people have of what the church is, this place would be exploding at the seams. Everybody would want to be here. Friends, that's God's vision for what this is about. Let's be a community of grace and peace. Let's be a people of unity. Let's be a congregation where belonging and connectedness are highly treasured and sought after. Let's be intentional about about appreciating the various ways that God is bringing us together for the accomplishment of his purposes in our lives. That's the vision of church that Paul, and even more importantly, Jesus himself, has in mind for us. But to get there, there's something really, a couple of important things that we have to realize and that we have to flesh out together. So let me take you now to a second takeaway, and I won't spend as much time on, on this one and the next one, but two more ideas that I want to put before you with the, a, the few minutes we have left. Secondarily, I want you to consider this. Our sense of belonging to the body of Christ has to be experienced in a local community of faith where we commit ourselves to being connected with others. That's the only way that this all works, right? Paul's not talking about some nice theological concept. He's not not just presenting a nice idea for us to give intellectual assent to. You have to understand these words that he's putting before us, though they were written 2,000 years ago, still apply directly to the challenge of of each one of our lives, which is to find belonging and to be meaningfully connected to the body of Christ, right? So, so this isn't about the church. I mean, it's, it's true, right, theologically, that we become part of the church with a capital C when we uh, profess our faith in Christ and become followers of Christ. That's a theological reality that can't be denied. But that reality only becomes meaningful and has impact on our lives as we experience that connection locally in a congregation like this, right? We have to flesh this out. Think again about the function and purpose of an individual Lego, right? If I can go back to this analogy again. It's made to be connected to others, just as we are. Now, I want you to look at a similar analogy that Paul goes to in verses 21 and 22 and how this analogy finds its true application in our lives, in our experience. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, Paul writes, In him, that's in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Twice. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Twice in those two verses, Paul uses a similar phrase, synonymous really, overlapping, joined together in verse 21 and built together in verse 22. The common thread between those phrases, the word together. Together, the very word that's the focus of our study together over the month of September. These words confront us. Let's be honest. They confront us with the priority of togetherness or connectedness in Christ. In fact, notice that, again, that Paul uses a variation of the same idea twice in in the context of two verses. First he says we're joined together, and then he says we're built together. So the operative word is together. Now we'll talk about the, you know, what happens, what God is doing with us and bringing us together as well, but for now, just focus on the reality that, that this word together means that our faith is meant to be experienced in and through relationship with others, not alone. Others who share the same faith. We are designed to belong and connect within a local community of faith. That's the way God made us. Some sense of generic connection to the global body of Christ won't do. It's not enough. 
Only when we belong to a local community of faith are we allowing ourselves to be joined together and built together in relationship with others as God intends. That's the vision of church that God has in mind. This is where being connected or belonging finds its true meaning. And let's not forget, again, as I mentioned earlier, that Paul wrote these words to a particular church in a particular city at a particular time when people were struggling with all sorts of issues that were pulling them apart from one another. He was exhorting them to stay connected, to stay united, and to recognize the great work that God had done to bring them together in the first place. So when I say these words confront, confront us, what do I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm being purposeful about that word, right? They confront our sense of independence and self-reliance. It's the, it's the classic American mindset, right? We know it well. It's the water that we've been swimming in since birth, or most of us anyway. The truth is that, that we often think... <coughs> We can get along fine without anybody else. We think that we can be disconnected from others and it really doesn't matter. We don't really need anyone. Time to stop and take a drink. And yet, each one of us has bumps, just like the Lego blocks, right? We are designed to be connected with others. And so the common mindset and lifestyle of our culture tends to isolate us and separate us and keep us apart from one another. But the Spirit of God is constantly moving us back together. That's the heart of God. That's the work of God. That's the ministry of the Spirit of God, as Paul indicates in verse 22. So Paul's saying we are meant to be built together into a community of faith where God is at work among us and between us, yet the flesh, the world, and the devil are constantly pulling us apart. We have to fight that temptation to be pulled apart and disconnected. And it's, this is the rub that we all struggle with, right? As Kim mentioned in his story earlier, we Something happens, something doesn't go our way, uh, something, we, we have a conflict with another person, we become disillusioned with the church because it hasn't lived up to the ideals that, you know, Scripture lays before us, and we think, well, I'm done with that. I can't handle it anymore. When in fact, by isolating ourselves, we actually make our problems worse, right? We may think... We may think that we, should, that we can, by leaving or disconnecting, we can insulate ourselves, but what we really do is we isolate ourselves. Not the best way to find grace and peace. We think our desire for conflict avoidance will insulate us from trouble and pain, but instead it isolates us. The truth is that only by working through adversity in relationship with others can we experience and express grace and peace. It comes through adversity, not in spite of adversity. Let me share with you, by way of illustration here, a little video that just captures the story of uh, four or five people that were disconnected from the life of a local church and got reconnected. It's a powerful testimony of what I'm describing to you, and then we'll come back and I'll make one closing point here. Yeah, we were forced to go to church pretty much. We grew up like that. Since I was a kid, every time I go to attend to any uh, certain church, that was really strict for me. A lot of the rules that came along with church just felt like these, like, you know, 
who do I need to be in order to be loved? This is how you have to dress, this is how you have to behave. I can remember running around the pews in our old Baptist church in Chicago, and my dad was leading worship and stuff like that. So it's always been a part of my life, even sometimes if it was at a distance. When I got uh, into high school, I didn't really feel that connection to church. If you lived in mom's house, you, you went to church. The day I moved out was the last time I went. Well, I, st I decided to start around 12, 13 years old. I thought I was big enough to take my decision to say, this is not for me. I knew a lot of ministers and ministries and pastors and things like that, you know, and so you go to a church on Sunday, but you know what happened, you know, between, you know, Monday through Saturday. Sometimes you get a little jaded or disillusioned, you know, by that. I left and explored um, life and all that it had to offer. How I was, I didn't, I didn't feel I belonged in a church. I've pretty much done any kind of drug that you can do. It was always like, I still had this like, you know, anxiety and depression inside. So the things that I turned to were alcohol and marijuana. I was searching, really looking for something. I was trying to find a meaning in something on my life, which never find it. My brother for sure was the front door for me because I had such a close relationship with him growing up. My daughter Stormy started going to church continuously when she was probably 14. I'm a plumber in there and I get to the house and I start let out the blueprints and I start thinking there like, what are these people doing? Like, we can do miracles? Like, come on, this is stupid. There was a guy staying beside him and I was like, oh, say, who are you? And he's like, well, I'm the owner of the house and I was like, oh my God. Like, I want that moment that floor used to open and you swallow me right in there. And so when my brother came to me saying like, Ash, you gotta check out this church and like he was excited about it, I was like, okay, this is something. Before I left that day, he tried to come talk to me and he get to the point to come and invite me and say, he asked me, do you wanna go to church? It took us about three years before we finally said, you know, yeah, we're coming with you and get saved. Growing up in church is just a part of your life, and it feels like it's something you didn't have a choice in. But that invite really got me serious about going because it was my choice at that point. The more that I go to church, the more I get close to God, I realize like He will be watching over me. I think like being in community with the church, it's really, really one of the most beautiful gifts that God has for us. This is the, the only time in my life that I really believe that I have brothers and sisters and, and a true friend continue to keep asking, no matter how, to, how many times they say no, don't ever give up. I don't know where I'd be right now if Stormy had given up on me. stories that illustrate what I've been talking about this morning. I want to close with one final insight, and it comes to us at the end of verse 22. You want to look with me again at these words that Paul wrote. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. There you have it, friends. What does that mean for us? As we find belonging with other followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God is uniquely active among us to build us into something beautiful. That's the point here of what Paul's writing about. Think of the magnificence of, of what he's saying here, that God himself is building us together into a dwelling place for his spirit. 
We're all familiar, I trust, right, with the reality that we become a follower of Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and from that point on, the Spirit of God indwells each one of our lives as individuals. But this is something even greater, even more profound than that individual reality. What Paul's saying is that when we are built together into a community of faith, the Spirit of God is uniquely and powerfully present and active among us and between us. It's incredible. Somehow, in a unique and powerful way, the Spirit of God is present and at work as we are formed together into a community of faith. Think about what that means for you. It means that to the extent that you prioritize that connectedness, that belonging in the body of Christ, you experience more of God's Spirit at work in your life. As He connects us to one another, God is making us into something even greater than the sum of each of our lives individually, the sum of our parts. He's building us together to become a community, a dwelling place where the Spirit is uniquely present and at work. So why do we come back to church week after week, year after year? Or why should we even consider inviting others to come to church with us? Because in coming together as the church and being connected with one another meaningfully as the church, God is building us into something that otherwise wouldn't exist. And it's a beautiful thing. Think about the the image of of the the Lego castle. What, What Paul's talking about, though, is not a building made of brick and mortar. He's talking about a community. We're being built into a community of faith where God is uniquely present and at work. I think of the promise that Jesus spoke to his disciples, right? And if it applies to two or three, it certainly applies to more than that just as much, right? Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So whenever we gather with other believers, even just two or three, the Spirit of God is uniquely present among us and within us, But how much more than when there are more than two or three? How much more than when when we're devoted to building a community of faith, being built into a community of faith together by the hand of God? So we come together like this to live and worship in unity and to collectively turn our focus to Jesus and to experience together in relationship with one another His grace and His peace and to invite him to make us into something beautiful, something remarkable. Together, we are so much greater than we are as individuals. Together, we encourage and support each other when we're weak. Together, we reflect the nature and the relationship of God. Together, we're the body of Christ Jesus himself. And that brings me then to Paul's words in Romans 12 a comparable passage, a comparable theme, but a different image. Romans 12, 3 to 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I want to close this morning with a little illustration about the life work of an artist. An artist, maybe some of you have heard of him, named Nathan Sawaya. His life work is to produce life-size people made of Legos. Let me put a picture up to give you an example. You can see it here behind me. 
Some people put down their Legos when they grow up. Nathan Sawaya decided to keep building and has devoted his life to Lego art like this. He's known as designer and Lego maniac, Nathan Sawaya, and he's installed, uh, in this um, particular instance, six monochromatic Lego figures at the Allen Center, a one-acre development uh, that's part of the, the Park People installation in Houston, Texas. The figures sit on benches around the business hub, taking a load off next to downtown office workers. The the acre is a tranquil green space open from dawn to dusk in the middle of the Allen Center seven days a week. During weekday lunch hours, board gamers are set out uh, for for lunch breakers to relax with. Pictures and selfies are encouraged by the organizers of the exhibit. And according to representatives, each Lego person that Sawaya has made is made up of nearly 21,000 pieces of Lego brick connected with plastic adhesive. Sawaya tells uh, Crom.com that Brookfield Properties, which owns the Allen Center, has made public art one of its initiatives. His work using these children's toys to convey adult emotions is perfect for such office spaces. The 45-year-old Sawaya, speaking from Los Angeles, said that he got his first Lego set as a Christmas gift when he was five years old, and he never quit. When I was 10 years old, I wanted a dog, So I built myself a life-size dog out of my own Lego pieces since my parents wouldn't get me one. A stint as a corporate lawyer came later, but he found himself unwinding more and more with his Lego bricks after work. Soon, he left the law world for the Lego world. So parents, this is a solution, practical solution to a felt need, right? Your child comes to you and wants a pet. Now you know what to do. All joking aside, I want you to think about this as an image, as a a picture of the artistry of Jesus, right? Jesus is a supreme artist. In fact, earlier in Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul literally says, we are his work of art. And what is he doing with us? He's connecting us to one another to form the body of Christ. It's in our community with one another, in our relationships with one another, in our connectedness to one another, in the belonging that we experience when when we're brought together and built together that we become Jesus to the world. That, my friends, is profound and life-changing. Thank you for for coming this morning, for bearing with me as we press into this. I hope I'll see each one of you in the coming weeks as we continue our journey into togetherness. Let's pray.